Welcome to the Muso Church Podcast. Here, we share the powerful and practical gospel of Jesus Christ until everyone is free and flourishing. We're so excited that you're here. Wherever you're listening from, we are trusting and believing that God is going to touch your life through this podcast. Stewards of Grace, part three. We're walking through the book of Galatians. Anyone who's enjoying the book of Galatians? Anyone who's reading the book of Galatians? It's a very complicated, small book. There's a lot of confusing things in the book of Galatians. If you are reading it, are we not reading the book of Galatians? I wanna encourage you, please read, go and read. It's six chapters, it's not long. So that when you come, you are ready. The soil, remember when Pastor Martin was speaking about the, the quadrant of receptivity. So the reading of the word at home is when you are tilting the, the soil so that when the seed is thrown, your soil is ready. And as I'm preaching, I want you to write even your questions because on Wednesday we have what we call connect. And at this connect, that is where I get to answer some of your questions. Amen? So if you have a question right now as I am preaching, write it down. If you're watching online, write it down. Amen? Or you can even, those that are watching online, when are you can write your question there on the comment section, then we'll have it. Amen? So when we read the book of Galatians, from Galatians 1, 2, from verses 1 until Galatians 2, 14, Paul is arguing the independence of his apostleship and of his message. He is reiterating that he was not appointed by men to be an apostle. And in fact, he has no interest in pleasing men. So Paul is saying, listen, I'm not here to impress anyone. I was not appointed by anyone. In fact, in Galatians 1 verses 10, Paul says, I am now, am I, rather he's asking a rhetorical question, am I trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? And if I was still trying, listen, listen to the implication. Paul says, if I was still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. Paul is saying, I can't please men and both God and be a servant of Jesus Christ. It's either I'm going to disappoint one of them or both of them. And I can tell you now, guys, in this day and age, you cannot please both men and God. You can't be a servant of Christ and also please men. Because the Bible warned us and said to us, in the last days, people will be lovers of themselves. The gospel say people must die to themselves. 
you are not going to be able to please them and still preach the gospel. The gospel today is powerless because the preachers of it want to be popular. And, and not that the gospel is powerless in itself, but we are not seeing the effects of the gospel because the preachers of the gospel want to be popular. And because we want to be popular, there are scriptures that we need to omit so that we are not canceled. There's the, how many times do you want to write a post about the gospel, but you are constantly thinking, who am I going to offend? So, in that moment, when you omit it so that you don't offend them, you are omitting it and disobeying God. And Paul says, I am not in the business of pleasing men. For if I am pleasing men, I cannot be a servant of Christ. Paul spends, guys, there's three chapters. No, there's six chapters in, in the book of Galatians. He spends two out of so a third of the whole thing just talking about his independence. So Paul, what he's doing here, he spends a third of the book of Galatians saying, I'm willing to stand alone in the defense of the gospel of salvation in Christ alone. Bazalwan, who here is willing to stand by themselves and say, even if I'm the only one who is standing alone, I will preach the gospel of Jesus Christ. I will preach the gospel of salvation in Jesus Christ alone. Yes, sir. The question is, what if they take your job? Because the time is coming. What if they want to kill you, Zianda? Because the time is coming. What if they want to take your money? What if they say you can't buy at shops? What if they say you cannot trade in the economy? If you are not compromising, then what then? Because it's easy to raise our hands here when there's no threat. That's why if I ask you here, if someone walks in there and say, anyone who mentions the name of Jesus, I will kill them. Who will do it? Who, who will say, you got rather kill me? Raising your hand like this and you think you will... Ah, there's no threat, but you are raising your hand like this. There's no threat, but, but you are here. Anyone who will say, if they walk in, I will say, kill me. How many here will say, if I say right now, Take all the money in your account and invest on a mission to go and save people in the city. We'll take out all the money. There's only 150 that is left in there, so there's not much. Can I, can I, can I tell you something that is, can I tell you something that is interesting? Most of us, we are willing to commit to hypotheticals. Things that we know that they are less likely to happen. If we say come to church at half past six, 
So we'd rather say we will die for him because we know that's not the requirement. But we are unable to live for him, which is a requirement. We commit to things that are, are beyond our control. We know it's not going to happen. So, no, no, I'll die, I'll die. <laughs> We're like, uh, uh, you're not required to die. Live for him. Are you doing that? I could have just said you'll die for him. But so don't worry. It's not the requirement. He's not requiring that for you. Just live for him. He has already died for you. Don't raise your hand. Ask yourself. Just sit down and ask yourself, am I really living for him? When they say, because guys, let me, let me show you. No condemnation. For there is no condemnation. What, 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 what? Yeah? Living for Christ means sharing the gospel with other people. It means serving other people. It means advancing his agenda. How many of us put our interest before advancing his agenda? I get, I get it if someone walks in here, we will die. He says, don't do it. That one is fine. I, I covered that one. I died. I just want you to be in a church and serve there so that people can be saved. Ah, but God, it's too early. It's too cold. It's too inconveniencing. I have an appointment. My life is set up like this. How about you just said if they come in with a gun, he will die. <laughs> ah, so you were just saying that because you know it won't happen. It's a hypothetical. Inconvenience your schedule for the service of others. Uh-uh. No, no, no. I just want to die, not, not inconvenience my schedule. But one hour we are not serious. Yeah. Sorry, man. <laughs> are you okay? Are you still fine? Yeah. Huh. He says, I'm willing to stand alone in defense of the gospel of salvation in Christ alone. To prove this, he tell to, to prove this. Peter, not Peter. Paul. Or Paul. You must understand that in church there is ranks. I get all the ranks. Paul, Peter was, high, was higher ranking than Paul. Because he was the first disciple to be recruited. He was the only disciple who walked on water. He is the disciple who planted the church in Acts. He was the disciple who was given an instruction he was the disciple who Christ said to him, upon this rock, I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. And the keys of hell and heaven, what, what, they'll be given to you. What you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. That was Peter. High ranking. Paul is the Damascus guy who was hit with lightning. He lost his sight. He came after. He was not part of, he didn't walk with Jesus. He was not part of the 12. So you understand the rank. When Peter was distorting the gospel, Paul rebuked him publicly. It's like when I distort the gospel right now, once, and then you stand up now, not, not up, you don't call me to the side, I'm 
I'm not sure about what you said there. You stand up right now and say, Muruti, what you are saying is heresy. It is not the gospel. Imagine. You don't wait for the service to end. You, that's how passionate Paul was about the gospel. And that's how passionate we need to be about the gospel. That there is nothing we would not do in defense of this gospel. We say, hey, regardless of who is preaching it, we will stand up. But today, because you respect your papas too much, you are able to sit there and listen to heresy and not only listen to it and accept it and eat of it. Paul was like, listen, man, I respect rank, but when it comes to the gospel, he says, I respect the rank, but when it comes to the gospel, I will break the rank. When it comes to the distortion of the gospel, I will break rank. And it's not an encouragement to break rank, but an encouragement to be serious about the purity of the gospel. That we don't respect any man to a point where we are willing to sit down and allow them to preach heresy. But ah, we, we even eat it. We, I get it, he's our papa, he's our man of God. He's our pastor, he's our whatever. Guys, Paul didn't wait until they were in the corner. Because it's like, I'm going to wait until we're in the corner and address it. But people are already lost. So I need to address it now. So that people know that, ah, that's not the gospel. Because what they were trying to do was trying to say what, what in essence was happening here. They were saying, you are saved by having faith in Jesus Christ and being circumcised. So they were not saying you shouldn't have faith in Jesus Christ. They're saying, yeah, you are saved by having faith in Jesus Christ, but also you need to be circumcised. So they are mixing grace with the law. And that's why Paul, Paul is like, uh-uh, 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 uh-uh. We're not, we're not going to do that. Because we're taking, back, we're taking people back to where they were. We're taking people back to where, where they used to be. The issue that Paul had was that the Jewish leaders were, were saying, on top of faith in Jesus Christ, you also had to be circumcised to be saved. Now, circumcision was a sign of eligibility to inherit the blessings of God, the promises and the blessings of God that were promised to Abraham, Right? To a point where even God in the Old Testament said that any Jewish male who was not circumcised had to be thrown out of the people of God and was because they had broken the covenant. So circumcision was a sign of qualification. So when you say to people, so it was a sign that they can now, and I hope, catch me, Circumcision was a sign that now you are eligible to receive the promises of God as according to Abraham. Are you with me? Yeah. Right. Now they're saying, in order for you to receive the promise of God, and what is the promise of God? The promise of salvation. That's it. Yeah. 
in order for you to receive the promise, not only do you need to believe in Jesus Christ, you also need to be circumcised. The implication of that is that what Jesus Christ did on the cross is not enough. It challenges the sufficiency of the cross. You, to be saved, you need to accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but also you need to pay this money. Or you need to do this ritual. Or you need to stop doing one, two, three. Do you see the danger? And here's the thing about the laws. How many laws, how many Jewish laws are there? Ten. You are joking. 613. And once more, you were not required to save, to, to, to obey 612 for you to, ex, to be accepted. You were required to obey 613. How many of us will get saved? <laughs> just close this whole thing. Yeah, let's just take us to hell once. Because uh, there's no way we're not going to make it. And that's why Christ came. The Bible says, in Christ, all of God's promises are yes and they are. We shout an amen. They are yes and we. The Bible doesn't say they are yes and amen. Stop saying those things. Eh? They are yes. We shout amen. And when we say amen, we are saying we agree that in Christ, we don't need the law. All the promises are satisfied. Amen to that. That's what we are saying. Amen to that. We agree that he is sufficient. 2 Corinthians 1.20 For no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes in Christ. And so through him an amen is spoken by us to the glory of God. Now it is God who makes us both to stand, uh, to make us, both us and you, to stand firm in Jesus Christ who anoints us. Paul is saying the Jews and the Gentiles, we both have the right to these promises. It's no longer only us because we have kept the law. But you know why the Jews were offended? Because they are like, you can't just break the law all this time. And now I've been keeping the law. And you just come. And Bella, you receive the same thing I'm receiving. Aye. There's no way. I've been horosing here all my life. Keeping myself pure. And are you saying this, this, this girl was the one in high school. You know you have those girls in high school you compare yourself with. Agree when they will make an example Like, So you are the one. You are the one. You are every parent make an example Smakaling You're going to you are going to squeeze in through the door together. And when at the time you'll be offended. What is offending you? But I, I kept it together. Yeah. What Busing was, was, was Busing. 
That was the offense. Because then they were saying, Paul, that means that you are preaching a lawless grace where you are implying that people can do whatever they want. And Paul says, we are not there yet. What I am addressing here is that to be accepted by God, you only need to put your faith in Christ and Christ alone. No subtractions, no additions. This one needs, you don't even need to be a prayer warrior. Let me, let me move because that's not where I'm at. Here's where I'm at. The justification by faith. Because that's what Paul was preaching. We are justified by faith in Jesus Christ. What does justification by faith mean? Listen to what Paul says. Paul was a Jew. Galatians 2, 15 to 21. He says, I love. You know, I feel like if you just read this, you don't even need to preach. Like, the, it's the gospel summarized. He says, we who are Jews by nature and not sinners of Gentiles. Do, do you get the beginning already? Yeah. We who have kept the laws and barely we, are, we love our wives, we don't cheat, we don't do anything. Like, we, are, we, we have done everything right. Anyone here who's like that? Amen. <laughs> <Ha>. <laughs> so, so Paul says, we who have kept all the rules, we who have kept all the laws, he says, knowing, we know this, knowing that a man is not justified by works of the law, but by faith in Jesus Christ. Even we have believed in Jesus Christ that we may be justified by faith in Christ, not by the works of the law. For by the works of the law, no flesh shall be justified. He says the rules that we have been, we have been keeping have, will not grant us salvation. Amen. He's not talking about them. He says we, the laws that we have been keeping, they are not going to get us acceptance before God. He's saying they are not going to justify. We have been keeping them, but we know that they are not going to get us justified. We know them. So you're like, ah, 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 so why? So why have I been keeping all these rules? I could have just broken the rules and just enjoyed my life. But he says, but if while we seek to be justified by Christ, ourselves are also found sinners. Is Christ therefore a minister of sin? So now that we are in this grace, what happens when we are found sinning? Does this mean Christ is a minister of sin? He says, absolutely Certainly not. For if I built again those things which I destroyed. Because in Jesus Christ, we destroy our life of sin. He says, if I build again these things I've destroyed, I make myself a transgressor. For I, through, through the Lord, died to the Lord that I may live to God. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who lives, but it is Christ who lives in me. 
and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not set aside the grace of God, for if righteousness came through the law, then Christ died in vain. If we could keep the law to get ourselves to be righteous, then Christ died for nothing. What is to be justified? The Hebrew word for to justify is that word there, guys. Put it there. You see it? Yeah. It's thick. That's this or that. It's tongues. It's tongues, that one. It says, it is to declare justif- uh, 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 judicially that the one, uh, one state is in harmony with the demands of the law. To declare judicially that one state is in harmony with the demands of the law. Do you guys understand the weight of that? When you are justified, Christ says you have met the law. You have met the requirements of the law. In its completeness, in him, we have met the standard. All 613 of them. Yeah. So I believe in you and I get credited with what you have. This is deep, eh? You like <laughs> by placing our faith in Jesus Christ, we are as good as having kept all the 306 and 13 Jewish laws. Amen. Hey guys, do you, you, you understand what's happening here? It's like you break the law and then you, you are sentenced 613 years. Then Christ takes the 613 years and puts it on himself and says, I will go. Then he goes and serves the sentence. And when he comes out, you are not pardoned. You are declared innocent. There is a difference between someone who's pardoned and someone who's declared innocent. The person who's pardoned is, you have done it, you are naughty, but we are forgiving you. Innocent is... Which, which one? Yeah. Where? Which one? What are you talking about? No, no, my sins, which ones? As far as east is from the west, so has God removed our transgressions from us. Imagine. You know, guys, when you have a pardon, it's still on your record. It's still there. No. Yes, he's walking around, but he did one, two, three, four. He was pardoned. We are not on parole. We are free. 
on parole, you are walking around, but you have limitations. In Jesus Christ, we are not on parole. We are absolutely free. When we get everywhere, there, there's no criminal record on our backs. That says, I don't hire them. Even though they are out, they still have a criminal record. In Jesus Christ, we can, get, we can go anywhere and everywhere because we are absolutely free. That's what justification means. Justification is not, hey, guys, it's like you're, you sin. It's like you sin there, and then after you sin, they put on you, they say guilty, death, punishment. It's you, you are, you are here. It's written, guilty, death, punishment. Wrong, broken, everything, the mess. Christ is standing here, righteous. So on him is written righteous. Guys, it will be enough if he can just take away the sins, the brokenness, and everything, and just take it. That would be enough. But that's not justification. Justification, Zianda, does not just take what is on your neck. It takes what's on your neck and takes what's on his neck and puts it on your neck. That's what justification. It doesn't just take your sins away. It then puts on you his righteousness. It, oh my God. Like, what are you saying to me? Yes, you stole 100 rands and we pardoned you for stealing the 100 rands. We actually forgave you and we canceled your debt for stealing the 100 rands. We say you have not stolen the 100 rands. But that's not enough. Now here is 1,000 rands for you. That's what justification looks like. What you have done is not just taken away. You are given. My God. You, it, it's, guys, I was like, God, if you had just given, forgiven me, that would have been enough. Yeah. If I just, my slate is clean, that would have been enough. He says, no, not with me. I don't just wipe your clean slate, your, your slate clean. I am now on top of that. When they say, when you're like, you're like, listen, I am forgiven, but not only am I forgiven, I'm also credited. Yeah. When they want to tell you about your past and what you've done, when the enemy tries to accuse you, you're like, enemy, listen, I was not only forgiven for my sins, I was also given the Holy Spirit to empower me not to sin again. Yeah. Ah! So the thing that you are drawing me towards, I don't do anymore because I was not just forgiven for doing it in the past. Now I've also been given the power and the ability not to have an appetite for that thing. I'm not just forgiven, I'm also empowered. Yo! Guys, God did not just give me an appetite, it didn't just kill my appetite for sin, he also give, gave me an appetite for righteousness. It was not just the taking away of the one, it was also the giving of the other. That's what justification is. Justification is a metaphor of acceptance with God that is drawn from the world of law and jurisprudence. Yeah, it's, a, it's the English. <laughs> the, the dilemma people find themselves as, because we need to understand the genesis of justification. 
The dilemma that we found ourselves in is that we are guilty because of our transgressions against the, the, the laws and the commands of God. Guys, we are guilty of transgressing against the laws of God. That is the dilemma we find ourselves. Amen. Because we need to, because sometimes we think justification is a small thing because we don't understand what we are saved from. Because you think, ah, me, I, I, I didn't do anything. Me, I was just living a, a, an okay life. I don't need to be saved that much. <laughs> Romans seems to differ. Romans 3, 22 to 23. It says, there is no difference between Jews and Gentiles. You know what he's saying? He says, we're not uh, uh, the one who has kept yourself pure. There's no difference between you and Osuola Oemimostrate. Imagine one seed. But between where now, Jesus and the church everywhere. There's no difference between you and that guy who's smoking Hubley and Zol right now. Yeah. There is no difference between Jews and Gentiles. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. What does that mean? He says God has a standard. And outside Christ, none of us, regardless of how moral we are, can reach that standard. God has a standard. And none of us, regardless of how moral we are, can reach that standard. So do you, do you understand how doomed we are? Do you understand the predicament we find ourselves in? To say, yo, so you're saying even if I keep myself pure and I don't lie, I have integrity, I have all these things, I still fall short of the standard? Yes. Yo. Yeah, like I must, must, there's no hope. There is. And our desire and only hope is that God, who is perceived in the metaphor as a judge, would, would show us forgiveness and make things right and eliminate our guilt and subsequently our punishment. Well, like God, if you can just eliminate our guilt and take away our punishment. All of us. But since God, as judge, is purely objective and altogether morally righteous, and because he cannot simply just overlook our sin, we find ourselves in an awful predicament. What is the predicament? Romans 1.18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodly and unrighteous men who suppress the truth with unrighteousness. We're not saved from small things, guys. Listen, if you are saved from going to hell, that would have been better. We are saved against the wrath of God. Do you understand the wrath of God? If you think hell is bad, hey, now this is the real deal. And that's what, so the implication, all of us have sinned, number one. So who deserves the wrath of God? The wrath of God? All of us. 
You. Even if I've kept myself, uh, you. Wrath of God. It has been unleashed from heaven. Ay! The Bible is dramatic also, eh? Can't you just say it's, it's coming? You have to say it's been unleashed. And when you unleash something, you. That's why, like, the, the wrath has been unleashed. Yo, yo, yo. Ha, ha, ha. I'm telling you, it's bad. But, I love this. It says, but surprise. Yo, surprise. What we were not even expecting? Surprise. While we were not expecting it, while we were doomed, imagine, guys, if the truth is there's nothing you can do to meet the standard of God, and as a result, you are going to experience the wrath of God. What a hopeless situation. But surprise. Surprise. But surprise, God forgives us. And the agent of his forgiveness is Jesus Christ, who legally assumed our guilt and bore the curse of sin in his crucifixion. The result of Christ's work is that people who trust in him and surrender themselves and, the, uh, and surrender themselves to him are declared innocent before God. As a result of God's justification of sinners, we have a new status, no longer accountable to sinfulness. And through his act, we are now acceptable to God. He has granted us the spirit so that we have now a transformed character. That is, the person who is justified also inevitably live a consistent life of righteousness. The person who is justified inevitably lives a life of righteousness. Righteousness, guys, is not doing everything right. It's being acceptable before God. The ability to step into his presence. The ability to step into his presence. Because who can then ascend to the mountain of the Lord? Who can come into his presence? Those with clean hands and a pure heart. And we know that our hands are not clean and our hearts are not pure. But the one whose hands were clean and his heart was pure became sin so that we may be declared the righteousness of God. I read this book this week. I read this portion and I found it to be so life-giving. I found it to be so amazing. And I thought I must just read it to you this morning. The late Dr. W.E. Sengster went to visit a dying woman in hospital. And he said to her, are you ready to meet God? And what would you say when you meet him? She held up her torn and worn out hands and said, I am a widow 
and I've brought up five children. So I had no time to go to church, the Bible, or any of those religious stuff. But I've done my best for my children. And when I see God, I will hold up these hands and he will look at them and he will understand. I've done so much good. When I get to heaven, I'll lift up my hands and show God, God, look at my hands. I have done so much good. Wait, now, now what would you have said to this woman? Well, Dr. Singer said to her, you are too late, my dear, you are too late. You are too late, my dear, with your hands. You are too late. And then she replied, what do you mean? And he replied, well, there is someone who got there in front of you. And he held up his hands in front of God. And God's eyes have no attention for another. Says there's someone who went in front of you. There's someone who got in front of you and held up his hands. And since then, God has had eyes for no other. He looks at those hands 24 7. That's all he's looking for. None of us can get to him and show him the works of our hands. None of us can get to him and say, Look at my hands, please accept me. He says, I'm not looking. I am not watching your hands. I have no interest in those hands. My hands are for just one, but only one. And that is Jesus Christ. So what happens is, when we get to heaven, when we get, when we get to heaven and we want to produce our hands, we don't have to. We just need to align behind the one whose hands are already set in front. We have to put our faith in this one. That's all we need to do. Because God does not want to look at your hands. They will not meet his standard. He does not want to look at your deeds. They will not meet his standard. He doesn't want to look at your righteousness. They will not meet his standard. He doesn't want to look at your morals. They will not meet his standard. He's looking at the perfect hands of Jesus Christ. And all you need to do is put your faith in Jesus Christ. And his righteousness is put on you. And he's looking at him. And you are I declared acceptance. And you are declared accepted. He's looking at those nail-pierced hands. That was a perfect sacrifice for us. And he says, don't raise your hands. Don't show me your righteousness. Don't show me your deeds. Put your faith in him who I only have eyes for. And there's someone this morning here who has not put their faith in Jesus Christ. And they're still trying to gain the approval of God by their righteous acts. And they're saying, God, look at me. Look at me. I'm, I'm, I'm doing everything right. God says, 
all you need to do is put your faith in the one who is acceptable to me with our eyes closed if you are here and say I want to put my faith in Jesus Christ because he is the only perfect sacrifice he's the only acceptable sacrifice I'm tired of trying to please God with my own deeds I want to put my faith and my trust in Jesus if you are here just raise your hand and I want to pray with you if that is you just, just raise your hands I just want to pray with you Father thank you for your grace your loving grace is better than life itself thank you for saving us thank you for your son Jesus Christ who has justified us and this morning we declare once again we put all our hope and our faith in him for he is the only acceptable sacrifice you were willing to receive for the salvation of our souls and in him we put our faith completely and we surrender to him we thank you and we honor you in Jesus mighty name and the church of God said Thank you for joining us today. We believe that this message has been a blessing to you. Why not be a blessing to someone else by sharing this message with them? Also, don't forget to subscribe to our podcast. Goodbye and God bless.